Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Um, coming up, we're going to have a conversation here about Pierre Polyev and uh, his next steps going forward. He did announce today, uh, at least some of the people on his leadership team. House leader is Andrew Scheer, a name we know. A party whip will be Kelly Lynn Findlay. Deputy whip is Chris Workington, also the question period coordinator. His deputy leaders, he's named two, Tim Upple of our province and Melissa Lansman of Ontario. So he's starting to uh, put together his shadow cabinet and make some plans. The interesting thing will be how he handles himself. And I'm not going to say he pivoted. I'm not going to say he changed his um, stance on anything. He certainly didn't. But um, he's been talking a lot about hope over the past couple of days since winning on Saturday. And that is some some heady stuff. It's some powerful stuff. It's uh, It'll resonate. He's an effective politician. He really and truly is. Is he effective enough? Um, some of the stats we'll get into uh, throughout the course of this interview. He has a hill to climb when it comes to a lot of Canadians, but let's get into it. We're going to chat with Janet Brown, who is a pollster and political commentator. She joins us now. Hi, Janet. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me. So when we talk about Polyev, I mean, what he's been talking about right from the very beginning is exactly what a lot of Albertans want to hear from this prime minister, right? Blistering attacks on the Trudeau liberals and a heady mix of freedom and oil and gas. I mean, the greatest hits for Albertan conservatives. I mean, he's got exactly what he wants from them. They're all in locked and loaded, right? Well, conservatives are always locked and loaded for the or, or Albertans are always locked and loaded for the conservatives. Yeah. Um, you know, they they've won big in Alberta for, you know, every election that I can remember in recent history. So, um Pierre Polyev has taken the heart of conservatism and he has made it even more secure. The question is, and I, I mean, of course, he knows he has his bedrock of support in the West, and conservatives typically do. Um, but when you take a look at what happened in the leadership race, he won big in pretty much every single riding across the country. I think there was eight uh, where he didn't actually win. So, I mean, can we say it's just Alberta support, or does he have conservative support from coast to coast to coast? You know, I think everybody was blown away by his his clear, firm win on the weekend. Um, both his supporters and his detractors had to just kind of, you know, do that little I'm not worthy bow because yeah. it was remarkable to win that much. And like you said, he won uh, 330 seats out of 338. Um, six, six of them that he didn't win were in Quebec, two in Ontario. I mean, that is as decisive as it comes. And then when you look at just the sheer number of votes cast, um, you know, the heart of it was here in Alberta, but th- this party now has more members than any party in Canadian history has ever had. So um, whether you like Pierre Polyev or not, you have to give him props for having just a, a, a crushing um, victory uh, by any measure at all. And you know what, as I was saying earlier, Janet, he is an extremely effective politician. I mean, you watch him, just the speeches he's been giving over the past two days, the number of sound bites, they just 
fall from his lips one after the other. I mean, it's all carefully scripted. I understand that, but it doesn't sound scripted. It sounds natural. They resonate. I mean, he really is a skilled politician in that respect. Well, and you said, you know, he hasn't really changed since the beginning of the campaign. And I wouldn't say he's changed either, but he certainly evolved, right? And so, um, I mean, this is going to sound like a really petty thing. But one of the things that's changed is, if you remember sort of a couple years ago, three years ago, I guess now, thinking back to the SNC-Lavalin hearings with Judy Wilson-Raybould, when he was just such a sort of scathing debater in that, um, there was something in his tone that was kind of like nasally and annoying, Right. And that's something he's worked on. So, you know, not only has he worked on all of his talking points, he's worked on the tenor of his voice. And now and now he doesn't have that little irritation in it. He sounds very commanding. And like I said, it's a subtle thing, but it it makes it easier to listen to than than the cadence he had a few years ago. Now, the question here, Janet, and it's the one that's dogged him right from the beginning of the campaign. First job was to win the leadership of the Conservative Party, which he did resoundingly, as we said. Mm-hmm. Some interesting stats from David Coletto of Abacus Data yesterday saying, you know, according to his polling firm, when Scheer was elected leader, 21% of Canadians had positive feelings about him, 18 negative. O'Toole, 21 positive, 19 negative. Polyev, 22 positive, so about the same. 27 negative. So more people have negative feelings about him. Now, this is not conservatives. This is in general Canadians across the country. So he does come from behind, at least based on what the other two are facing. Yeah, but you know what's more important? More people have an opinion on Polyev yes. than ever had an opinion on Sheer, right? And so, you know, he's made ripples. He's made noise. And he he had to... Um, he. he he made a very concerted effort to appeal to the kind of people he thought he could get to come out and vote. I always say that, you know, elections are about who shows up. And he scanned the the, the political reality and he said, you know, the people who are going to show up to, for me are the people who are angry about lockdowns. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Um, who supported the convoy, um, who, who are against vaccinations. He spotted them as a group that he could mobilize, and he really appeals to them. Now, that turned a whole bunch of people off, but those people were never going to buy yeah. a conservative membership. Now he's won the conservative membership, and in the speech he gave on the weekend, he was three-quarters of the way through the speech before he really even mentioned COVID or lockdowns. He got a huge um, response from the audience. They started chanting, freedom, freedom. So the crowd was definitely that freedom crowd. But he took a long time before he got there because... After he won the leadership, he wasn't talking to the people in the room anymore. He was talking to the people watching him on TV, the people who'd never buy a membership, but the people who'd come out and vote for him on Election Day. So this is, a, I mean, it's going to be fascinating to watch because uh, it's something that I think other politicians in his party 
have faced, um, and we might see it at the provincial level too, where you have a situation where he did what he had to do to win the party. And as you say, some of the messages that he was sharing and some of the platform stances that he took during the leadership campaign really put him at odds with a lot of Canadians outside of the Conservative Party. But if he shifts, if he pivots, if he softens his stance, then he's Aaron O'Toole. Um, How does he navigate that? Well, that's the thing. Aaron O'Toole, I think, for a lot of Conservatives, appeared to have softened, and that yeah. bothered them. And and Pollyon so far doesn't appear to have softened. He just appears to, as I said, evolve or shift, right? So he didn't say anything that contradicted his opinions on the convoy or freedom or vaccines or anything, but it wasn't his main focus. His main focus was inflation. And if you ask Canadians what their top concern is, you know, inflation is, is right up there. Um, certainly, I did some polling in June asking people what they thought the most important issue facing the province was, and by far it was inflation and cost of living. So, you know, he, he was talking about the things that members cared about. Now he's he's pivoting. Maybe that's not the right word, but he's shifting to the things that voters care about. That's not exactly what Aaron O'Toole did, and that's what got Aaron O'Toole in trouble. Yeah, as long as he sticks to the stances that he made. Now, the other... Uh, player in all of this, of course, is Justin Trudeau. And we, we know that Trudeau fatigue is real, and there are even people within the party starting to say, maybe we need to make a shift. I was surprised they let him take him into the last election, to be honest with you. But um, he, if he does lead the Liberals into the next election, will be facing an opponent... Well, for the first time, really, I, I don't think Andrew Scheer or Aaron O'Toole really had what it took to go toe-to-toe at the national level. Polyev does. Uh, he's going to be facing somebody in debates, somebody on the campaign trail who is a formidable opponent. Uh, how does that change the way that the national political landscape is shaping up? You know, Trudeau has said that he is going to run in the next election. Now, that's probably what he should be saying, whether he is or right. he isn't yeah. running in the next election. So, but, but, you know, if we're going to speculate that he is going to run, absolutely, it's going to be for, for us political watchers, for people like you and me who just love when it's interesting, it's going to be a really fascinating race because they are two very sort of commanding um, debaters in their own different ways, right? But they're both really good at, at um, stirring up passions. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we like to fool ourselves into thinking that, like, you know, human beings are rational and that when we go to vote, we make rational decisions. But actually what human beings are are emotional people who, who rationalize rather than think rationally. And so um, when the two of them can sort of, when you've got two leaders who can stir up the emotion that both of these can, um, it's really, really going to make things interesting because that's what engages people in politics. And um, like I said, we're not as rational as we think we are, but when uh, when we can get pulled into the emotional excitement of uh, politics, um, then races become really, really interesting. And as you say, both of these guys have a proven track record of doing exactly that. So mm-hmm. it's going to mm-hmm. be fascinating to watch. Janet, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us. Oh, thanks for having me.